really not trying to avoid our topic today because we're talking about authority. Oh boy, is that kind of like talking about molars, you know, or cavities or something? But when I think about authority, I've been thinking about this for four weeks and I have to just confess to you that this is um, going to get under your skin. This story about this soldier and his engagement with Jesus and his encounter through his friends with Jesus is going to get under your skin and it's not going to go away with a soundbite. It's something that God's going to ask you to think about. He's going to ask you to think about your early experiences with authority. And it's been under my skin for four weeks and I shared it recently with a friend and I was telling her about how he was dealing with me and how I was looking at how I had experienced authority as a young girl and then growing up and how that's influenced my understanding of Jesus' authority and my response to his authority. And uh, when I did that, she shared back in text form. She said, I struggle with authority, not as much as when I was young. I don't like lines in the sand. I tend to cross them. Okay, then she, the funny part about this is that she's spent a lifetime married to a man who's a career army officer. That's kind of funny to me. That's an irony because her life has been prescribed by the army in many regards. Well, my favorite authority story, though, from Jared and I's early pastoring has to do with a friend of ours. We were all um, on a deep-sea fishing trip. We did it for the church, and 30-some of us chartered a boat and went out of Newport to fish, bottom fishing. And one of the guys, Chick Fisher, yes, that is his name, he was so excited about this trip. And he was reminding us all that in Scripture, in Genesis, it says that we have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. And he's like, so let's take authority in Jesus' name, you know. And we're like, you've got the faith, brother. You can pray for all of us. So Chick, in his usual passion, he delivers his prayer. And he says, and we just take authority over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. And we just ask it. we'd catch a ton of fish today, God. And, you know, he finishes up his prayer, and we all go about our fishing. We cross the bar, and we start fishing, and every person caught fish except one. Chick. (laughs) So today, when I mention authority, we've all got these experiences with it, disappointments with it, aversions to it, or not, and we're going to take a look at a soldier's story, somebody who understood authority really well. And because of that, he was able to understand Jesus' authority in a way that sometimes some of us don't. Take a look at this video to help you get in the soldier mindset. Let me be the first to congratulate you on a job well done and call you a United States Marine. Raise your right hand and repeat after me. I say your name. I you solemnly swear. To support and defend. The Constitution of the United States. Against all enemies. Foreign and domestic. And to bear true faith. And allegiance to the same. Then I will obey. The orders of. The President of the United States. And the orders of. Those officers officers appointed over me me according to regulations regulations and the Uniform Code of Military Justice. justice. So help me God.
Well, we can't really move on from that picture without acknowledging the soldiers who are amongst us, those who have served, or if you're currently serving. If you'd just raise your hand, we'd like to say thank you again. We really can't thank you enough. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Now, you might have noticed in the video that when they said, raise your right hand, did you see anybody raise their left hand? No. Did you see anybody just keep their hands to their side? No, it was up there. The right hands were up there. And then when they began to take their oath to swear their obedience to their commander-in-chief, the president of the United States, and to those officers appointed over them, they really understood with amazing clarity who had authority and what direction that authority went and how to respond to it. They knew what to do. The guy didn't have to explain. Now, when I say this, you do this. Did he? He just said, do this. And you, immediately. I mean, for somebody who grew up as a baby boomer, never trust anyone over 30, question authority, sometimes that's a little hard to get my mind around. And to think how this was a part of this story that we're going to read today. Because the big idea that the centurion highlights for all of us is that it's easy to trust, to have faith in someone that has unlimited authority and love with that big A-N-D, authority and love. Let's take a look and read this story together, this true story that happened in Jesus' life and ministry. He's now finished with the Sermon on the Plain. He enters a town called Capernaum, and here's what it says in chapter 7, verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and he's built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, goes, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I've not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Wow. Jesus has just finished up this amazing sermon series, the Sermon on the Plain, as we've spent the last four or five weeks talking about the different elements to that. And he's now entered a town that was nearby from when he'd been delivering this message, the town of Capernaum, a village of about 1,500. And he's met with human need. And what he sees coming at him as he enters town is the Jewish elders are walking toward him. I don't know if they were walking or briskly or rather slow, but I wonder what he was thinking when he saw the Jewish elders walking toward him because he'd just had some conversations with some other Jewish leaders 
and they were pretty emotionally charged conversations. So I'm not sure if he was going, oh, this is going to be fun, or I wonder what they want now. But he found out almost immediately that they were coming on behalf of someone else. And a Roman soldier at that. This had to be startling. Well, the centurion. The centurion, just to get in his mindset a little bit, the Roman army, which was the biggest army ever assembled and the most sophisticated army, a lot of our army techniques and strategies and warfare have come from lessons from the Romans. But this Roman army was divided into legions, and each legion had 4,800 soldiers. And those 4,800 soldiers were then divided into what was called a cohort, and there were 10 cohorts. So each cohort had 480 soldiers in it. And those cohorts were divided into six more groups called centuries. Each century had 80 soldiers in it. And the leader of a century was called... A centurion. That's what this man was used to doing. And in the Roman army, this was a highly desired position. You see, it was the highest position that an enlisted man versus a commissioned officer could have in the Roman army. So it would take your years of working your way through the ranks. And on top of that, it took kind of a minor miracle of uh, good fortune to get there because the chances of surviving in those days because of the military peril and the lack of medical um, antibiotics and things like that to treat you, was about 50-50. So if a soldier lived long enough and did well enough, he might become a centurion. In today's army, the equivalent of this would be a sergeant major. In some years, and sometimes in history, it would have been another position. But nowadays, the equivalent position would be sergeant major. That's the highest rank you can get in the army by just being an enlisted person versus a commissioned officer. But the important thing about the Roman centurion is he held the power of life and death in his hands for the soldiers under him. You see, the centurions in the Roman army were what were called the enforcers for the army. That's where all the offenses of the soldiers were punished or not, was at the hands of the centurion. So for those 80 men, he made these decisions. If you committed a mild offense, you were beat with a rod at the orders of your centurion. If you uh, committed a more serious offense, then the centurion could order that you be demoted or fined or even transferred to a whole other legion with another centurion over you. Now, if you fell asleep while you were on guard duty in enemy territory, you could actually, it was your centurion who would tell your fellow soldiers around you to beat you to death. So in a very real sense, the centurion had a tremendous amount of power over these 80 men. All this to say, this history lesson about the Roman army and the centurion is to reinforce for us his understanding of authority. He understood what it was like to have a lot of men over him and a lot of men serving under him. Now, this says here in the passage that the centurion had heard about Jesus, and this is why he decided to send the Jewish elders to him on behalf of his servant who was sick. And when I first read this about four weeks ago, and I was just soaping on it, just making observations and writing down things that occurred to me, I was really struck with the fact that what the centurion had heard about Jesus from other people motivated him to bring a life and death situation to him. And I was thinking about my own life and what people have heard about Jesus from me. 
And if I was the only person they'd heard about Jesus from, what would they be motivated to do? Would they be motivated to come to him with their life and death situation? That was just one thought that came to me, but it did get me thinking about what would he have heard about Jesus that motivated him? Well, we know a couple of things. For one, this is Capernaum. This is Peter's hometown. And you'll recall earlier in Luke, Jared talked about it, the scene at Peter's house that was right there in Capernaum where his mother-in-law was healed of a fever. And it's so, the news spread so fast that at sunset, the town brought tons of people after the Sabbath was over and they had this kind of healing service going on right there in the house. And all kinds of diseases were healed and demons were cast out. So he might have heard about that, I'm pretty sure. And then he might have heard about the leper who approached Jesus and was completely covered in leprosy, not just an, a one limb or something. And he came to Jesus and said, if you're willing, you can heal me. And Jesus said, I'm willing. And he was healed in that moment instantaneously. Perhaps he'd heard the story of the paralytic that was let down through the roof by the four friends right in front of Jesus as he's talking to a whole crowd of people. And Jesus turns to that paralytic and says something very amazing and controversial. Your sins are forgiven. And he knew what they were all thinking. Wait, that's not what we came for. Do you have authority to do that? And he said, so that you know that I have authority to forgive sins. Stand up, take up your mat and walk. And the paralytic walked. So he's probably heard about this. And then he set people free from demons. In fact, it was there in Capernaum in their very synagogue, the synagogue that this man was a friend of and a supporter of and helped build. It was there in that synagogue that Jesus had cast a demon spirit out of a man. He had opened blind eyes. And on top of that, he had taught people just in the previous couple days. He had taught people to love in really radical ways talking about the things we've talked about the last few weeks, loving your enemies and doing what Jesus asked you to do no matter what it is. That's pretty radical. And what he really knew is he knew that Jesus came and used his authority to love people in ways that were in their best interests, that Jesus came with authority and love, always doing what was best for another Whatever the exact details were that he was told, he understood that he could bring a life and death situation to Jesus and trust him with the outcome. So we want to take a look at what this soldier can teach us about Jesus' authority in his experience with it and make some observations about it. And the first observation would just be that Jesus' authority can be understood. It is knowable. It is understandable. And when we really understand Jesus' authority, it sets us on this really remarkable pathway and makes it easy for us to trust Jesus with our life situations so that instead of praying and then wringing our hands and talking over and over again to people, I don't know what's going to happen in this. I'm so worried about this child. I've been praying for them, and I just don't know what's going to happen. Instead, we can be more like the centurion. I asked he has the authority. He's going to do it, no matter what I see. An amazing opportunity. It can be understood. This centurion understood the, that, he, that Jesus was a man of authority and love. And he understood that Jesus would act in the best interests of others. He understood authority because of his own role in life as a soldier. And he easily applied it. 
He knew that he obeyed his superiors when they gave commands, and others under him obeyed him when he gave commands. And he understood that Jesus' authority was superior. This was probably the most important thing that he knew about Jesus' authority. The word here that he uses when he calls Jesus through his friends, he says, Lord. It's the same word that Jared talked about last week when Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then you don't do what I say? Because this title, Lord, was supreme authority. It was God himself. And the centurion understood that Jesus was, had carried all of God's authority with him. He already had a practice of obeying those above him and of his subordinates obeying him. And he understood that Jesus' authority was supreme. Now, the word for authority here is exousia. And it's the authority to command others that comes from position. It's that official power that doesn't require enforcement, like the Roman, in contrast to the Roman power, which why did the Romans have this vast army? Because they had to enforce their power. They had to ensure that people were going to obey them. Jesus didn't need a bodyguard. He didn't need a bouncer. He didn't need a strong arm or a strong man. He had that authority inherent in who he was. And with one word, Lord, the centurion acknowledges that Jesus has the power of God himself, that he has the power to act and to bring that action on our behalf. We just sang that song, Give Me Faith to Trust What You Say, That You're Good and Your Love is Great. That can only be sung when we understand Jesus' authority like the centurion did. So what did the centurion understand about Jesus' authority? Well, we established that he understood that it was a supreme authority, that his authority came from God, and that his authority was motivated for a best good. And that it included people that were on the fringes, that were outside the social norms, that were not necessarily included by the culture. And this made him respect Jesus tremendously. And it, it begs the question of all of us, where does our understanding of authority come from? It's interesting to think about where you picked up your understanding of authority. And we'll talk more about that as we move through our time. I told you he's going to get under your skin as you think about it. Because Jesus' authority can be understood, but it also invites respect. In fact, I would say if you look at the centurion's example, it elicits humility. The centurion has such high regard for Jesus and such respect for Jesus that he chose to not go himself to Jesus face to face, but to send Jesus' own people, the Jewish elders, to him. That was a direct sign of respect. I know who you are, and I'm going to send the most important people in your culture to address you with my request, instead of making it himself. Now, this centurion was well-loved by the Jews, and that was quite a feat. That made him an outlier in his own culture. You don't read about a bunch of Roman soldiers who had the respect or the love or that would be defended to Jesus by his followers anywhere else in Scripture. But here, it says that he was supportive of the Jewish concerns, that he was a lover of their nation, and that he had helped them build their synagogue, possibly by contributing means to that. Now, sending Jewish elders, that was a sign of respect for Jesus 
and humility on his part. But apparently, as the centurion waited and thought about it, it wasn't enough. He decided to send a second wave of people. And he sent this time, instead of the Jewish elders, he sent some friends. And he sent them with a very particular message. He sent them with these words. I am not worthy to come to you. I am not worthy. Interesting word. It literally means enough. I am not enough. I am not fit. I am not sufficient. I am not great enough to come to you or to have you under my roof. So he sent his friends and and told Jesus, but just say the word, just give the command, and my servant will be healed. Like any good commanding officer, he understood if Jesus issued the logos, the spoken word, the command of Jesus, that was enough to change everything. That physical realm, the illnesses, the, ce- the cells that were wrong in this servant's life had to be corrected because Jesus had more authority than the physical realm. He could command it. Now, interestingly, this isn't exactly the message that the Jewish elders brought, is it? What did they say? This man deserves. This man deserves for you to do this. Hmm. The centurion didn't make that claim. That's not what he said. I don't deserve. I'm not even worthy. I'm not even enough for you to come under my own roof. He understood that Jesus' authority was not dependent on his performance. Absolutely, not even his presence. He had that understanding of authority. Let me ask you, have you ever appealed to Jesus to do something because of your behavior? Or because of your performance? Or because of something a friend has done on behalf of another like this? But wait, this couple... They've done so much. They're so giving. They're so loving. They're so good to others. Jesus, certainly you'd want to help them with this. Building the case like the Jewish elders were. That's not what the centurion did. That'll rock your cage a little bit. In the words of one young leader, my response to that question, have I ever appealed to God to do something for me or another on the basis of my performance or theirs? Heck yeah. I've done that. In fact, I've found that it's incredibly easy to link my faith and my trust in Jesus to my performance and my behavior and to trust Jesus' authority based on how well I've behaved of late. Now, sometimes we're not even conscious of ourselves doing this. I call this the self-talk that you do in the car, not always to the other drivers, mind you, right? Not all self-talk is about others. Sometimes it's just about ourselves, and about what we're going through. And maybe these have rang through your mind. I got these, I don't know how. It was my best friend sharing them with me, I'm sure. But maybe you've said these words. God, if you'll do this, then I'll do this. Or maybe you've said, God, I did what you told me to, and look what happened. I.e., not what I asked for. Not what I asked for. Or maybe you've said these words, if only I had, you fill in the blank, then God would have done this. So we ask, and then the hand-wringing begins. 
Why do we hand ring after we've prayed? I remember as I'm praying for that child who's making a difficult decision and I'm not liking the direction it's going, I remember all my failures as a parent. I remember how I've let them down. And that somehow undermines my confidence in Jesus' authority. Because I think somehow that his authority, being able to act in my life and in others' lives, being able to handle the life and death situations, or less, that we bring to him, is somehow still based on my performance. And this is what the amazing understanding of Jesus' authority and his respect for Jesus' authority of this centurion really speaks to us about. Can you imagine this amongst these Marines that we saw? They get out there on the battlefield, and they turn and try to negotiate with their sergeant. Hey, Sarge, if you do this, then I'll do this. Or, hey, Sarge, if I go over here and clean this up, you suppose you'd let me take this position in our next assault? That's not how it works, is it? There is a commanding officer, and his name is Jesus. There's centurion's response. I'm not worthy. I'm not enough. I'm not fit. But just say the word. Just say the word, even though I'm not fit and my servant will be healed. I don't know about you, but you should feel really good about that today. And the situations that you face, we often think that we have to deserve it. I think the thing that really gets me about the centurion's response is the mix of confidence and humility that he approaches Jesus with. Because deep down, I see that he knows, that he knows, that he knows that the authority of Jesus is a superior authority. And it has is in no way contingent on his behavior. And he gave him the respect that he was due. Out of a lot of people across the New Testament that responded to Jesus, this man understood who he was talking to through his friends. This is the Messiah. This is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. This is the commander-in-chief of the Lord's host. Wow. I can have confidence. I can put my respect, I can understand that authority that's not based on my performance. And when we understand and respect Jesus' authority because he's unlimited authority with unlimited love, then it evokes this great confidence that we saw in the centurion's life, also in our lives. You know, the centurion compares Jesus' relationship over the physical realm to his own authority over sickness in this case, his, his servant, so the sickness of his subordinates. And he says, when I tell a soldier to do something, he does it. When I tell him to come, they come. Jesus was superior over sickness, so Jesus' authoritative word would accomplish the healing, and nothing else was needed. No penance, no extra good behavior promises on our part, just Jesus sharing his word. His confidence was amazing, even to Jesus. Now, if you read through all the gospel accounts and all of Jesus' story, you'll never see another person that positively amazed Jesus. Oh, you see him being amazed at people's lack of faith and at their unbelief, but this is the only place you'll find Jesus saying he was amazed at this centurion's faith. I want to have that kind of amazing faith that kind of confidence that Jesus says, finally, I could almost hear Jesus say, finally, somebody who gets me. 
We know how good that feels. But that's what was going on here. He understood that Jesus was the commander-in-chief. So here you have a Roman soldier, a total outsider, a contradiction in terms in many respects. He's a foreigner. He's a soldier sent as an enforcer of rulers that the Jewish people didn't even want, right? He's a lover of God from a nation that's far from God at this time in their history. He's a non-Jewish supporter of the Jewish faith to the point that he invested his own resources in helping them get a synagogue built so they could worship God. But he understands that Jesus' authority was enough to understand that his request would be granted because of who Jesus is, not because of anything he's done. And this evokes this amazing confidence. And what happened? Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. How many of you want that kind of result? Yes, in our situations, in the people that we love, in the people that we encounter. When I'm meeting with a couple and their marriage is falling apart, I want to know that Jesus has the authority to restore that relationship independent of all the right choices being made, independent of my level of faith. But because we came to him, the commander-in-chief, he has the power to bring to bear his power there. So I want you to put your thinking caps on and think with me about three questions that have to do with applying this to us this week. And remember, I told you, this isn't going to be a sound bite that you can just go home and repeat. Instead, I'm going to invite you to think, as I've been for the last four weeks, and still am. I'm probably going to have some more conversations with friends of mine. Think about authority in your own life. Here's a couple questions for you to consider. How has your understanding of authority been bruised or shaped or developed by experiences in your life? Now, I decided to ask my mom if I was um, a compliant child out of the womb or a, you know, rebel from the womb, okay? I know that's only two choices and you'd all like more, but I'm going to ask you to respond to this. Now, I feel that it's really most honest if you ask your parent about this because we all see ourselves by our intentions, right? Well, I always wanted to be good. But I'm going to ask you to think back to when you're a child. Of course, we know you're all perfect angels right now. But as a child, do you think your parent would have described you as the one, the compliant one, the one who was eager to please? How many of you would say, I'm in that category? Raise your hand. Oh, boy, we've got almost a service full of rebels then. And then on the other side, how many of you would say, oh, I think that my mom would say, I came out kicking, screaming, and asking why? Yeah. Well, you know, this is very good. This is the start of your journey. Jesus is going to get under your skin this week about how this shaped you. <laughs> because I asked my mom, and she, she said, yes, you were always one of those. You wanted to please. You were eager to please. And that was kind of my memory is that, you know, I really respected my mom and dad. And um, even, even at times when I recognized that they weren't 100% right, as none of us are, Right. But my first understanding of authority came from my parents or whoever raised you. That's where your first understanding came. And if you can think back to how that shaped you. Now, the first thing when I thought about mine was I learned that authority should be generally obeyed. However, I wasn't too old before my dad began to instill some other lessons in me about authority. And one of those was this. Some authority could be questioned. And his favorite word for the kind of authority to question was bureaucracy. Okay, he hated bureaucracy. I won't use the word that he used in front of it. 
But, um, but I recall it as a child hearing it. And where it showed up first as a young girl was that, you know how your parents have to write notes to the teachers explaining why you're absent? And my dad thought that was the stupidest thing he'd ever heard of. He said, I know where you were, and if I didn't know where you were, the police or the school would already know about it. So why do I need to write this note? And I'd hear him have these conversations with my mom, and then he would proceed to write our notes, to which we always were interested in reading before we turned them in. <laughs> Because he wrote some very sarcastic ones, okay? Um, and that, it's amazing what you can pick up. As I was taking that note to school, the whole idea began to run from through my mind that, yes, authority should generally be obeyed, particularly if it was my dad, right? We weren't supposed to question them. But I could question some authority. And I began to pick up on that. Yeah, it's okay to question authority. And then the culture was definitely feeding this because uh, the whole hippydom was there. And um, it was alive and well as I was being raised in this whole don't trust anyone over 30. And a boomer never does get past age 30, right? 29 forever. So, you know, basically don't trust anyone. And that's an anti-authority viewpoint. And we can get all rose-colored glass here and say that didn't affect me. No, I've always known that God was supreme authority, and I respond to authority quickly. But, but that's what it was in my culture. But, you know, today's culture, it's different than that one. Today's culture, everyone's an authority. You realize that? That's part of the world being flat. Information being, everyone's an expert. Everyone's an authority. So how is that influencing our attitude toward Jesus as our commander-in-chief, as our supreme authority. How has that changed the way we think about authority or if, in fact, there is any authority? When we get ready to talk about relationships, it's going to be challenging because God has some things to say about them that our lives might not line up with. And that's where we start to see how the culture's view of authority begins to influence ours, and we have to take stock and let God's Word read our lives. So I, this generally obeyed thing, and then there was this other thing, and this was my other lesson. You cannot always count on the authority in your life. Now, every person on planet Earth is imperfect and flawed. That means every parent is flawed. And my parents were no exception. And my dad really struggled with some things, and in the middle of his alcoholism, it was really hard for him to always show up to do the things he said he'd do. They're disappointments. But even if you had two parents who loved Jesus, you had some disappointments. There's brokenness. Each one of us is on a journey toward Christ. We, we haven't arrived, right? And that affects our kids' view of authority. And what I learned is that a lot of authority is imperfect and broken, and you can't always trust it. They're not always there for you. They don't always do what they say. Not all their commands are followed. And this can really feed in to our view of authority. And let's get real about it. What about spiritual authority, like pastors and spiritual leadership in our lives? Ever been disappointed by that? Ever found brokenness at that level? I'll never forget my freshman year in college. And I was part of a church called Faith Center in Eugene. And um, we all came to church that night and place was packed out, just loving Jesus, singing with all our hearts, and our pastor gets up and brings another pastor on staff on stage who repents before us for sexual immorality. 
with some of the young women that he'd been counseling in the congregation. He had to ask forgiveness. He was removed as a pastor. Undergo treatment. Now, it had a great ending. But that's the brokenness that happens even in spiritual authority, right? People let us down. Now, those are like a big letdown. But, hey, Jared and I, we're going to let you down. Our team, we're going to let you down. That does not have anything to do with Jesus' authority. His authority is inherent in who he is. He is the commander-in-chief. You cannot let human authority keep you from Jesus. Don't let it get in the way of your relationship with Jesus. It's easy to do that. And that brings us to that second question that's so important to ask. How has your response to human authority influenced your response to Jesus? How has it influenced your relationship with Jesus? Because it has. I don't know the answer to that question for you this morning, but I encourage you to ask the Lord this week. And that brings us to our final question, which is where will you let Jesus' authority change your life today? What's the life or death situation, or not, something lesser than life or death, that you need to bring to Jesus, that you need to trust him with today and stop the hand-wringing and stop the trying to get good enough And stop trying to qualify for and just rest in his authority. That's his invitation to us today. Let's pray together.